Last week, Mike began our our series, leading us into this study of Galatians, uh, talking about verses uh, in chapter 1, 1 through 12. And as we looked at that, Mike talked about freedom from confusion, and we learned that freedom from confusion comes from God's Word through God's people. And as Mike shared some of his story, it reminded me of some of my story and some of the stories of people that I know. It just, it touched my heart as I thought about those people that um, are confused, uh, those people that have fallen away from the gospel, those people that, that I went to confirmation class with but haven't darkened the door of a church in, in 20 years. And we all know people like that. Uh, maybe some of those people are here this morning. And so as we launch off into talking about freedom from our past, let's, let's pause for a moment and pray for those people that are confused, that are in our hearts in our lives, uh, that the gospel may once again find them and that maybe God could even use us. Gracious Heavenly Father, among us there are those that are struggling with confusion about who you are, uh, wrestling with doubts. Lord, we ask that you would provide people who can speak your word into their hearts and into their lives and give them clarity. Lord, we all know people like this, people who need someone to speak into their lives with your word. And so, Lord, we ask now that you would provide someone that would do that, and Lord, that you would help us to be those type of people, those type of people that can speak your word with grace and the power of your spirit to deliver them from confusion. Lord, as some of us grapple with our past, help us to see how you free us from it, And may your word guide us this day. Amen. So our text for today comes to us, as you guessed it, from Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. If you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia, and I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. So I've been thinking about the past a little bit recently. It's interesting that I get to preach this and it's at this time of year because that's one of those things that happens when you hit significant dates in your life. You start thinking about the things that occurred on that day in the past. 
About six years ago, I graduated from seminary, uh, became a pastor, and uh, was called to serve a little congregation in Sedona, Rock of Ages. Two years ago, I received a call to St. John's. Uh, Lindsay and I sold our first house. Uh, we packed up everything we own. Well, almost. My wife made me get rid of some of my stuff including my beautiful Arizona 1987 F-250. No, it wasn't pretty, but I loved it. She said it wouldn't fit the standards here. Whatever. (laughs) And we moved to Orange. And I've ever since had the privilege of being a pastor here at St. John's. And there's all that other significant stuff that comes along with that. On top of that, a couple of weeks ago, Lindsay and I headed back to Sedona for a friend's wedding. Uh, I got to see some old friends, see some old places. All that nostalgia came rushing back. And on top of all that, while we're there, one of those memories popped up on Facebook the way they do, right? Farewell potluck at Rock of Ages. All of that caused me to wonder, to think, to reflect on my past. And for us as people, that's fine. That can even be good. But I think sometimes as people get caught, we get caught and we start living in the past. And the hurts from past relationships, in the the hang-ups from past experiences, and those habits that threaten to define us. And so what did I think about I thought about the joys. I thought about the joy of baptizing three teenagers in Oak Creek Canyon. And I remember the cold water. I remember Bree's birth and the excitement. And I thought about the sorrows. Bearing a friend and trying to comfort his daughters who were a little younger than Lindsay and I. And I thought about the successes and the failures. And you notice I didn't list any of those there. Well, part of that's because I come from the Midwest, and you just don't talk about your successes. You want everybody to know about them, but you can't say it. So that still sticks with me a little bit. But our failures. I think the truth is none of us really want to talk about that. We don't want to deal with our failures. Talking about them can make us uncomfortable and uneasy, even though those are the things that often play the heaviest on our hearts. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Paul in that one moment, in that single solitary moment when his entire past came crashing back into his life like a ton of bricks? as it all came crashing back, as as Jesus stands face to face with Paul and says to him, Saul, why have you been persecuting me? Wow. It hit him in such a way that he didn't think about eating or drinking for three days. That's the moment that Paul is talking about right here in our text. 
When God was pleased to reveal his son to me, when he was pleased to reveal the gospel to me, that's the moment that Paul's talking about. And I think those moments get seared into our hearts and into our minds. Whether they're moments of joy or moments of sorrow. And here Paul, as he's caught in this moment, he thinks that he's been doing everything right. He's earning the favor of people and he's earning the favor of God. And Jesus shows up and he finds out it's all been wrong. So how do you deal with your past? The failures, the mistakes. I know, at least for me, I have this gut instinct when I kind of step back into those or I have the, oh, crud moment, I forgot to do that. I want to rush in and say, how can I fix this? How can I make this right? How can I undo what I have done? But the problem with the past is it's not like a knot that can just be unraveled. It's the past. It can't be changed. The actions, the heartache, the pain can't be unwound. It's finished. Untouchably stuck in the past. And as much as our past and our failures can plague us, I think we can also struggle with our successes. 5'11", 115 pounds, soaking wet. I think that weighs, uh, that's less than you weigh now, right now, Mike? Barely. Barely, okay. Let's just say I didn't have an ounce of coordination in all 115 pounds. I was a hazard to my own health. I had a basketball coach once tell me, Call the timeout. And this was why he called the timeout. He said, Nathan, you need to stop having out-of-body experiences. You're going to foul out before half. (laughs) Oh, man, I tried. I tried so hard at sports. But I was not coordinated. So what did I do? I started running. Why? Why? Because I knew that nobody really wanted to run the mile, at least in grade school. And so if I tried, I could do all right. And so then I could be accepted. I could be valued. I could be wanted. And I think some of that is in all of us. We all want to know that as we look at everybody else and we look at ourselves, we want to know that, that I measure up. We don't want to be chosen last. We want somebody to value us and pick us, not because we're the only one that's left. I wanted to be somebody. And I think as I read those words from Paul, I think this was a struggle that he knew. From verse 13, if you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. Paul's saying, I was winning. I was doing everything right. I was winning people's favor because the best thing you could do at that time as a, as a Jew was to stomp out this crazy little cult that followed this weird guy named Jesus that they called the way because it was a threat to national security. 
Because it was not an approved religion in the Roman Empire. And you didn't want to infect your Judaism because it could make everything go so wrong. And so he was doing the best possible thing that he could. He wanted to be accepted and valued and wanted just like the rest of us. But I think he tipped his hand a little bit about his heart in the verse that's just before our reading in verse 10. He writes, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. We see here a a foreshadowing. Uh, For Paul, something changed. He found acceptance and approval in something else, something other than his doing, in something other than his successes and his failures and how everybody else viewed them. See, the truth is, setting our hearts on being successful comes with enormous challenges. I once read a successful person described how they became successful with these words. I have an iron will. All of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy, only to push past a spell of it and discover myself a special person, a special human being, and then I get another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. Again and again, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and probably never will. Hear that quote and we think, okay, yeah, I can kind of identify with that. Until you hear the person that said it. Probably one of the most successful people in history as the world thinks about success was Madonna. See, the problem is in the end, success can't answer the big questions. Who am I? What am I really worth? How do I face death? I really want to contribute something to this world, to this life. I don't want to be forgotten. And success can give us an initial illusion of an answer, a rush of happiness that leads to this belief that we've arrived, that we've been occluded, accepted, and proved ourselves. It is a well that we are often tempted to return to. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? Do you know what I have accomplished? But in terms of answering those big questions, those big questions that our past challenges us with as we think about who we are, that well has long ago run dry. With dealing with our past, our successes, our failures, The answer that we're really searching for is, am I enough? Am I enough? And when we deal in successes and failures, the answer to that question, we build our life on two false premises. First of all, that 
We can control other people's opinions and approval through our performance. And secondly, that that's all that matters in life. As I thought about this, uh, I thought it's kind of like darts. I played darts for a while when I was in college and graduate school, and I went to play with a guy that was way better than me and kept on beating me ridiculously. And he kind of pulled me over and he says, all right, here's the key to the game, Nathan. You want to be four darts ahead. And I said, I don't get it. Why? He said, well, how many darts do you have? Three. You can never catch You can never do enough to make up for all those failures. You can never be successful enough to earn your own value. But that's where the story changes. When Paul thinks on this moment, when Paul thinks on all that had happened, does he remember the weight, the load that hit him like a ton of bricks? No, what stuck with him, what stuck with him in that moment was the grace of Jesus Christ. When God was pleased to reveal his son to me. It wasn't the failures and the mistakes. It was Jesus. And he sees that that God set him apart from his mother womb. That he had chosen Paul. Paul to do great things. Not because of anything that Paul had done or could do. But because of who he was. Because of who God was. See, God is a God of grace. Whose salvation cannot be earned, only received. And our problem is that it's in our nature to come before God and say, look at what I've done. Look how much I've suffered. I, Hoping that it's enough. But if you want God's grace, all you need is need. All you need is need and nothing else. When dealing with our past, there's a verse from an old hymn that I think all of us could do well to commit to our hearts. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete. God revealed his son to Paul. Jesus, Jesus, the one who could hold Paul accountable, the one that has the right to hold Paul accountable for all of his despicable actions. And yet, what does Jesus do? He absorbs the cost himself. God reveals his son to us. He reveals his son to us and absorbs the cost into himself. He calls us by grace and sets us free. It's it's how we as God's people get into his family. We can't earn our way in. It's something that has to be done to us, kind of like baptism. You've never seen anybody baptize themselves, have you? Somebody else has got to do it. But what of our past? What of those things that we've been dragging around in our attempts to earn our place in the family, our attempts to make past rights wrong, to deal with those hurts and those habits and those hang-ups, all of those things that can show up unwelcome and unwanted in our hearts and our minds, those things that Satan uses against us, 
those things that he uses against us and points his ugly bony finger in our face and says, see, I told you, I told you, you weren't enough. Is it wasted? No, you have been set apart. He has used those things to to mold you and to shape you and to make you the person that he is designed to be. More than that, he redeems your past. He redeems your past and makes it a message of his grace. Jesus Christ has set you free from your past and he has used it and will use it for your good and for his glory. So in those moments, those moments when Satan shows up in your heart and in your life and says, see, I told you you weren't enough, you can reach up and grab that bony finger and say, I am enough in Jesus Christ. I am enough in Jesus Christ because he has redeemed my past. He has redeemed my past and he has something so beautiful in store for me that nothing else could compare. Not even my past. Amen.